0: I um, I don't know how many of you are are watchers of reality shows on TV. You can you can be honest. Um, I'm not going to judge. Um, uh, does anybody here watch the reality shows? You know, American Idol, things like that. Okay, um, maybe you saw a couple of days ago. I guess uh, two weeks ago, something like that. There was a um, one of the one of the singing ones. The um, you know American Idol, one of those. Um, uh, there was a there was a girl, a 13 year old girl, who was on one of them, and she sang Nina Simone's "Feeling Good," which was pretty impressive. Um, and and um, if you saw that if you saw that video, um, uh, you saw something pretty pretty fun. You know, the, the reason I saw it is somebody forwarded the video to me um, uh, because you see the the judges get won over, you see the the crowd loves her right away. And then you see kind of one of the judges stands up and then and then another judge stands up and then the third one. And then finally, the fourth judge stands up. And when the fourth judge stands up, the crowd goes even crazier because because I guess that's special when the fourth judge stands up. So um, so it was a great experience to see how somebody with with a unique talent can really impress um, an audience. So it was it was fun to watch and you kind of, you know, smile and say, oh, that's so sweet. I, you know, I hope she becomes famous or whatever, or whatever. So. Um, the reason, the reason I, I mention that is because uh, that's the image I think a lot of us have about God. We want to know how we, can, how we can win over God, what it is we need to do, what kind of performance we need to put in so that we can win over God. That's, that's what I want to talk about today. We are in a series of conversations that I'm calling declarations. The idea here is that the church... Has some things to say. The church has has not just the kind of everyday detailed, you know, uh, specific applications for our specific uh, situations, but we've got big things to say. If you were from Mars and you'd never heard anything at all about Christianity, what would the church, what would the Christian faith have to say to you? So we're going to talk about the big the big ideas of the Christian faith. Last week we talked about truth, the idea that the church, the that the faith that Christianity has some things to say, that, and every faith says this, that what we believe is, is true, that it corresponds to reality. We believe things about ourselves and about uh, the universe and about God that, that we think are true. And what we saw last week is that the, the particular thing that sets apart the Christian faith, the thing that we rely on to, to know that we have an accurate understanding of God, God in particular, is Jesus Christ. That we've got hints of God in nature, and we've got things we we, uh, know about God from our holy book, and every faith could say that, but we have something unique. We say that God is fully revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we say that that's, that's how we know the truth about God. But the passages of Scripture that talk about God's truth also talk about grace, we read one of them today. It was from the John's Gospel in chapter 1. It says that, that Jesus, uh, we have seen his glory, the glory as of a, son, a father's only son, full of grace and truth. That the scriptures don't usually talk about truth without also talking about grace. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about grace. What is grace? Uh, if, if you grew up speaking English natively, um, you have an idea what grace is. It's it's being graceful. It's poise. It's elegance. It's refinement, and that is not what what the Christian uh, Christianese word grace means. It's not what grace originally meant in English, but somehow it kind of went off on its own path, and now grace means poise and elegance. But that's not what it meant. The actual biblical word for grace is charis. Um, and it means favor. It means to be in a good a good odor with someone, that they, they like you. Um, an example of that would be, uh, we don't have the word caris in English, but we might say um, uh, charity. We, we had that song for the children just now, live in charity. Charity means when you don't owe anybody something, but you give them something just because you feel good about them or you want to feel good about them. Charity is this idea that they are in favor with you. We have another word, charisma. Charisma, you can see it's related to charis. And what it means is that somebody likes you. Somebody up there likes you because that's how come you sing so well, or that's how come you're so smart, or because you're so brave. You are gifted. You have some certain charisma, uh, which is the gift that you've gotten because somebody up there likes you. And in fact, that's where our word grace, uh, the English meaning of graceful, comes from. It's this idea that you're, you're a graceful ballerina. You have that, that gift, not because of something you did necessarily, but because somebody upstairs gave that to you. It's a gift. So that's where we get our word grace, or that's how it came to mean graceful. So the question the question that's facing us is, uh, what does God think about us? Can, can we know what God is thinking about us? And what our scriptures tell us, what our faith tells us, is that God favors us, that Jesus was not simply full of truth, he was full of grace, that he is revealing God's favor toward us. So uh, the the question I guess a lot of us would have if you say that is is why. We would say, well, if God knew me the way I know me, he wouldn't favor me because I know all the ways I fall short of the mark, the times I try to do right and I don't. The times that that I wish I could do better is sometimes the times I didn't even try. I just I knew what was right. And I just said, I'm not going to do it because this sounds like more fun. So we ask ourselves, how could we be in good favor with God if God knows who we really are on the inside? Or maybe we say to ourselves, uh, uh, well, of course, God is in favor with me because or uh, I'm in good favor with God because I'm such a wonderful person. And then we wonder, well, why doesn't everybody else see me the way God does? So, so one way or the other, we say, well, well, how could God really believe my propaganda? How could God really like me? How do we know if God likes us? And because many people don't have a, a, an understanding of grace the way Christians do... They look to other things to know whether they're in good, good repute with God. They look to, they look to their, their feelings. Do I feel guilty, right? Nope, don't feel guilty. I must be in, in good repute with God. It doesn't matter if my life's a wreck. It doesn't matter if, if the, the wheels came off and I'm living in a ditch. Um, I don't feel guilty, so I must be fine. Or, or maybe the other way around. Uh, everybody could see what a mess my life is, but I tell people I'm winning, and because I can afford my drugs and my, my prostitutes and so forth, I believe it myself, right? That's what that's what we see some celebrities doing. They tell people they're winning, and we look at them and say, well, uh, I don't I don't think so, and I can't really believe God thinks so either. So, so how do we know if 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 it's not our circumstances? if if we can't go by how well we're doing if we can't go by by what we feel how do we know Jesus tells us Christianity tells us that the way we know is that Jesus has revealed God's grace to us so we're going to look at a lesson today from scripture it's on the insert in your bulletin the yellow insert and even if you've never looked at the bible you know this story so i'm going to i'm going to Go through it as if you didn't, but don't roll your eyes because it's a great story. There's a reason you've heard it. Jesus is talking to some people, and he's telling this story. It's called the the uh, parable of the prodigal son. A uh, prodigal uh, means to to go through things in a hurry, to have a lot of something, and he does. He has a lot of something, and he gets rid of it. So um, this is the story of the prodigal son, or sometimes called the story of the lost son. So it's in Luke's gospel. And it begins on in verse 11. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So what he does is he goes to his father and says, dad, I wish you were dead. But since you won't cooperate, I wish you'd just give me the money now. So he tells his father, I want the money. And his father amazingly does so. In our culture, that would be an insult in Jesus's, uh, culture that would have been an unforgivable, an unpardonable insult. There would be no way that any father would put up with that. So this father does. He gives the boy um, his his inheritance, and then the son says to himself, well, he, uh, he uh, um, sorry, I'm getting ahead of my story. He says, uh, a few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. So he says, well, dad's still alive, The best way I can pretend dad is dead is if I go somewhere else. Then I can forget all about him. So the son picks up and takes everything with him and he he leaves for another country. And there he squanders his property in dissolute living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country and he began to be in need. So his money runs out about the same time as his luck runs out. Funny how that happens. So he went. And he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating and no one gave him anything. See, in this country, nobody gives you anything. In his home country, his father gave him everything. But in this country, nobody gives you anything. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. He says, in this country, hired hands don't have a very good life. It's a famine. You get paid. But because there's a famine, um, you can't afford the food. So you're starving to death even with a job. He says, this is not a good deal. I like the deal back home a lot better. My dad at least took care of his hired hands. And he says, now I have, I have hopelessly I've burned my bridges. There's no way I can go back and be his son. I don't, I'm, I, I don't deserve to be his son. But maybe my dad will hire me, and then I can have a better job as a hired hand. He says, I want to go back where they treat hired hands better. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father cuts him off. He never even gets to his request. The father says to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What does this tell us about grace? What it tells us about grace is that God is not... A judge, God is not a judge waiting for us to do right, so that then He can grade us and say yes or maybe no. God is a heavenly father. In the story, notice that what Jesus says is not that the son does anything to earn the father's approval. You may have read it that way that that the, what the father was waiting for is for him to return, and that that was somehow that was somehow what what dad was looking for. And it's true. But it hasn't fixed the problem, right? The son is still a mess, right? He hasn't repaid his father. He hasn't somehow how fixed the insult he gave by leaving in the first place. The son hasn't done anything to dig himself out of his hole. All the son has done is tried to upgrade his pig pen. Okay? The lesson of Scripture here is not about us. It's about the father. Jesus is saying This is something you need to understand about God because God is your heavenly Father. He's not a judge. And he says the best way to understand this is the son going home. And what he finds there is not the judge. What he finds is the father who every day gets up and scans the horizon hoping that the son will return. The father has forgiven him before he ever arrives home. In fact, when the son tries to start into this big apology about how I've done all these things wrong, The father cuts him off and says, none of that is important because you were dead and now you're alive. He says, let's have a party. If we miss the point here in the story, the Apostle Paul tells us in the the letter to the Romans, he says this, he says, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still in our pig pen... If Paul were given to metaphors the way Jesus was, he would have said, While we were still in the pig pen, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, somebody who's not in a pig pen, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in the pig pen, Christ died for us. Jesus tells it as a story, but the idea is the same. The son hasn't done anything to earn the father's favor because he had it all along. Now, once you get this story, there's two reactions. Uh, one of them is to say this is too good to be true. And that's what bad people do. The 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 song we heard uh, today, Amazing Grace, the man who wrote it was a slave ship captain, John Newton. He was a bad man. And when he finally got the idea of grace, when he finally realized that he was living in a pig pen, but his father would take him in anyway, he said, that is amazing grace. And for 200 years, composers have been tinkering with it, trying to improve on it. And they can can change the song, but they can't change the words, because the words are the point. Uh, Grace is amazing. bad people, for people who know they're living in a pig pen. But the other reaction is to say this, is to say well that's fine if you're living in a pig pen, but I'm not living in a pig pen I'm just living in a hovel. Okay, yes there's pigs in it but it's better than the pig pen that that guy down the street is living in. See a lot of us don't think that this really applies to us because we look at our life and say it's not as bad as it could be. We have not yet hit rock bottom. Or maybe, maybe we figure we've hit rock bottom, but we're working our way out. Things are better now than they were. You know, there's a, there's a way of looking at the story and say, well, you know, the son gave up too soon. Maybe what the son should have done is applied himself and really worked harder there in the pig pen. And he would have caught the eye of his boss, and his boss would have promoted him. And, and pretty soon he'd be running that farm. And then pretty soon he'd have a whole chain of farms. And then he could go back home and start, and everybody would look at him. There's a way of thinking you can earn your way back out of the pig pen. and I think people who have not hit rock bottom are prone to that mistake in that video I mentioned there's the 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 girl wows the judges, but before they do that before they get to the performance part there 's all this backstage stuff you know are you nervous the, the the secret camera is watching the the girl talking to her parents and and um, You know, are you nervous? Yes. Have you practiced all this stuff? And the mom says this. She says to the camera during one of the interviews. She says, "Well, if she, the the daughter, if she gets four yeses, I'll be the proudest mom in the world. But I already am. See, the girl went home a star. She won the she won the prize. But her mom loved her anyway. And Jesus is telling her, telling us that we have the same." relationship with God. That we don't have to wow the judges. That we don't have to somehow earn our way back out of the pig pen. Jesus is saying, if we just go home, God will take us in. So, if you're looking around and saying, I see people in worse pig pens, it's not too late. I can somehow dig myself out of this hole I'm in. Um, Jesus says, well, maybe. 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 There are people who win American Idol. But you know what? In all of history, only one person has wowed the judge that counts. And that's Jesus. It's his parable. He's telling us, unless you can live your life perfectly the way I have, you better go with door number two. Because door number two is to trust that you have a heavenly Father who loves you. Last week we talked about how Jesus reveals God the idea is that the way we know god is not just hints we get in 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 the stars uh, not even not even the assurances we have in our holy scriptures the way we really understand god the way we really know what god is about is by looking at jesus and that's how we know this story is true because what we see in the life of jesus is that he lived out exactly what the father does in this story when people got up out of their pig pen and went to Jesus and they said, I'm a sinner, I'm a tax collector, I'm a prostitute, I'm a Gentile, whatever is wrong with me, they went to Jesus with the mud still clinging on them and he welcomed them. That's how we know that this story is true because Jesus lived it out in his own life. And here's the good news. It's true for you too. It doesn't matter what your problem is. It doesn't matter what your history is. It doesn't matter If you've got issues, it doesn't matter if you've got baggage, and it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if you're unfaithful, unloving, unmerciful, unrighteous. None of that matters because your Heavenly Father loves you anyway. If you can please Him as a judge, that's great. But like the mom said, I already am. I already do love you. That's what Jesus says to us about God. So, What do we do with this? What is our role as the church? Our role is to be the Father. Our role is to live out what the assurances of Scripture proclaim about our Heavenly Father. Our role is when people come in the door with mud still clinging to them, wondering, is it true? Is grace that amazing? Wondering, do I have to impress the judge? Our job is, is to interrupt them, to run to them, to give them the robe and the sandals and the ring, to cover them with kisses and hugs and say, Welcome home. Are you a mess? You will fit right in here because we're all prodigals. Imagine what the world would be like if everyone knew that's what churches were about. If churches lived up to their calling to model the behavior of their Heavenly Father. That's what Jesus calls us to do. And with God's grace, that's what Jewel Lake will do. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.